Ai Weiwei still remembers when he was just a young boy living with his father underground. You live in very, very simple and、uh, primitive way. Of course, there's no electricity. You have to carry the water from far away. The water wells only one in this whole village. It was a village that they didn't live in by choice. Part of a labor camp in northwest China, where Ai's family and others lived underground due to the extreme high and low temperatures in that region's Gobi Desert. They had been exiled there as punishment for Ai Weiwei's father, Ai Qing. He was a famous poet, branded as a so-called rightist during the Cultural Revolution under Mao Zedong. Their exile began in 1958. Ai Weiwei was just a year old. My father said. Ai Qing never changed a bit, because he's very an、uh, innocent man. He always make mistakes, big mistakes.、Uh, that means、uh, you know he never really let the government、uh, touches or or twist his、uh, his way of behaving. He says his father didn't let the government change who he was. Then, after Mao's death in 1976, Ai Qing and his family were allowed to return from exile. At 19 years old, Ai Weiwei enrolled in the Beijing Film Academy. But a career as an artist wasn't something he could imagine, because for decades in China, the purpose of art had been about serving the state. I never imagined I would become an artist. In that time, there's only four professions in China. You either Farmer, factory worker, and、uh, soldier, and a student and teacher. But I, of course, didn't become any of those things. He did become an artist, and that wasn't the only way he followed in his father's footsteps. I'm just like him. In 2011, Chinese authorities secretly detained Ai Weiwei in Beijing. He spent 81 days in detention, and during that time, he found his thoughts drifting to his father over and over again. On the surface, these two men were so similar, but deep down, Ai Weiwei felt like he never really knew his father. Because I never really directly asked him a single question about his past. You know, going through all those difficulties and the struggles. Suddenly, I realized how close his own son came to having that same experience, that same disconnect. That time he was just over two years old, and the authority told me, after ten or twelve years, you finish your sentence, and your son certainly will not even know your his father. So. Ai Weiwei made sure his son would know both generations of men that came before him. He set down his thoughts and memories in a new book called One Thousand Years of Joys and Sorrows. I got the chance to speak with Ai Weiwei about the book and about the power of art in times of tumultuous change. It's consider this from NPR. I'm Elsa Chang. It's Thursday, December thirtieth. It's consider this from NPR. It all started with an earthquake. The force of the earthquake was so powerful that many homes. 
didn't simply collapse, they were destroyed, smashed into pieces. In 2008, in the magnitude cases, 8 earthquake in China's Sichuan province killed more than 80,000 people. More than 5,000 of those victims were children trapped underneath collapsed school buildings. The focus, say officials, is not on finding the dead, but rather on trying to save the living. In the aftermath, Ai Weiwei spoke out and blamed their deaths on shoddy construction practices and corruption. His activism angered Chinese authorities, who eventually arrested him for alleged tax evasion and held him in solitary detention. In 2013, Ai Weiwei created an art installation depicting in excruciating detail the trauma of those 81 days in solitary. Now his new book is an attempt to grapple with what that experience meant to him, both as a father and the son of an artist who was also punished by the Chinese government. Here's our conversation. Did you have a deep sense as a child that the Chinese government was basically punishing your father for his ideas? No way to understand. Nobody even understands. At that time, we are totally like... Uh, drops into water, you got totally wet. Mm. And uh, there's no way to have another choice or another possibility. The whole nation was under this uh, very heavy political uh, class struggle. Not only my father being punished, but over half a million of intellectuals being punished, their writers, translators or educators, you know. Between you and your father growing up, how would you characterize your relationship with him? Would you have described the two of you as close back then? Um, no, I, I never even think we, we are close. Also, I never see any family have a close relationship during that period. Mm-hmm. Love is never a word to be mentioned in any family. The love only belongs to the party and uh, the chairman Mao, the party's leader. Everybody is uh, so scared. Yeah. Even all those parents give the their children, newly born children, the name is love the country or love the party. Names that would make the Chinese Communist Party happy. Whole generation have maybe half of the population would have same kind of name. You know, there is so much in this book that reflects how your life later as an artist inside the Chinese communist system, how that life echoed so much of your own father's life, not just your time in detention, but the constant monitoring you faced every day when you lived in China. And I want to ask you, how do you think that constant surveillance by the Chinese government, that constant observation, helped you relate to your father better? Well, modern surveillance is uh, because of the technology, of course, I have been under surveillance, 25 cameras around my studio, people following me hiding behind the bushes, take photos to see who I meet. And, uh, you know, all those kind of ridiculous. Right. I, I start to understand that generation, how difficult for them. Today, I have internet. I can easily have my voice being heard. But in that time, they cannot even whisper to their loved ones about what's in their mind. Well, as I listen to you, 
talk about how much of an adversary the Chinese government has played in your life, in your father's life. You know, it made me wonder, because yes, the Chinese government has played a destructive role in your life, but also in in a way the Chinese government has played a strangely creative role too. Like, I'm curious, where do you think Ai Weiwei, the artist, would be without the Chinese government being such an oppositional force in your life, driving you to understand what is important to you, what to fight for, what to stand up against? Do you think you could be the same artist without the Chinese government? No way. No way. It's not possible. Once this uh, interrogator, he already interrogated me for over a year, he asked me very sincerely, Without us, you can never be so famous. I said, mm. yes, it takes a real enemy to make a, a soldier. And also, I'm grateful I can really exercise my individual uh, struggle and uh, freedom of speech. Yes. So I have something to say about it. Without that struggle, you wouldn't have the same things to say. Without struggle, we don't have a life. Life is about the struggle. Well, as we mentioned, this book it is in large part a written record for your son Ai Lao, so that Ai Lao can better understand who his father is. And you know, you write at one point of your own father, you say, "Quote." Although he never tried to influence my decisions and never asked anything of me, like a star in the sky or a tree in the field, he was always there as a compass point. And in a quiet and mysterious way, he helped me to navigate in a direction all my own. Let me ask you, how much do you want a similar relationship with Ai Lao? I want he recognize he does have a father. And uh, that person have its own principle, but I want to be there, so he can see me is there. And when you think about your own struggles, what do you want most for Ai Lao's life? I want him to have uh, independent thinking and uh, to a healthy life. I would say that's a healthy life. That's exactly what my parents say they want from me. <laughs> Ai Weiwei, thank you so much for sharing this time with us. Ai Weiwei said thank you, and he complimented me on my Mandarin. His new book is called One Thousand Years of Joys and Sorrows. It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Elsa Chang.